Well, again, good morning. I invite you to take uh, your copy of God's Word and open it to Luke chapter 9. We're going to continue our conversation as, as it pertains to these four chairs. And uh, we started this a number of weeks ago. We're uh, coming to a close, but we're not yet there. So this morning we will continue. As you would suspect, we started in chair one. These, they're not numbered, but just you can kind of view them in order. We started with chair one, and then we progressed through two, three, and today we find ourselves examining chair number four. And you see on the screen before you, chair number four, we've entitled the Disciple Maker. Now, along the way, these chairs, I hope, have helped to serve as a visual representation. And over the course of the weeks, we've had different chairs uh, in helping to serve as various representations. But what we've seen, hopefully together, as we've walked through these chairs, is the reality that we are likening spiritual growth and maturation to that of a physical human being. All, all, all human beings uh, begin when they are, their lives begin when they are born physically. They're alive physically, and then they mature physically. We talked about going from a baby who only consumes milk uh, to growing to be a child and in, and in growing and in, in becoming a, a child, and then an older child. We're learning to do things like eat and learning to do things like walk and, and talk. And, and we, one of the things we uncovered and we looked at together is the reality that this is actually the exact same thing um, for a person who is born again spiritually. Everybody starts in this chair. I know that that's a, that's a nasty looking word, dead. But God's word is very clear that that's where every human being that is born begins their spiritual journey, spiritually dead. But by God's grace, Ephesians chapter 2, dead things are made alive. People who are physically alive but spiritually dead can be made spiritually alive, and then that progress, progression of growth begins. So last week we likened our third chair here, spiritually maturing, to that of um, like a, a teenager or a young adult. Remember one of the things that we said, and if you have teens or you were or in contact with teens, or maybe it hasn't been that long since you were a teen, one of the things that we said when we look at these people who are spiritually maturing, and they, that you'll see them and they're taking such great strides, but spiritual maturation is hard. And so sometimes as we begin maturing and the difficulty sets in, we kind of fade back. Sometimes we say as we get to chair three and we become that worker and we start pouring and we find that ministry is hard. So we say, you know, I'm going to go back to chair two. Well, one of the things that I want to say, because I don't believe I said it last week, was it is common in the church as people begin to mature spiritually to find that this is difficult. So they go back to chair two where it's more of a being. uh, We said last week the difference between chair two and chair three is being nurtured and nurturing. And people find as they get into chair three that nurturing is hard, so they go back to chair two in order that they could be nurtured instead of do the nurturing. Now, people, we do, brothers and sisters, we do regress in these three chairs. If you are spiritually made alive in Christ, that is, if you genuinely trust Christ for salvation, you never go from chair two to chair one. Okay? Okay? And that's an important realization to make. We may 
progress and regress through these three phases of spiritual maturation. But for the person who trusts Christ, we never go back to chair one, okay? But the reality is, is as we grow spiritually, the more we understand, the more we know, the more we grow, I would submit the greater the tendency or the temptation it is to go backwards. You know, Pastor Aaron and I, of course, talked a lot. And one of the things that him and I were talking about was before they came here, he was a lay elder at a church in South Carolina. And I remember he's told me before, you know, I remember being in the church and just feeling like, man, it's great. They got it all together. It's making sense. Things are they're, they're good. You know, we're being encouraged. We're being challenged. We're growing. You know, we got all these things. And they asked me to come into leadership. And I'm excited to be a lay elder because, you know, this church is doing good things. And, and things are good. And he stepped into lay eldership. And guess what he found out? <sighs> Everything wasn't what it was cracked up to be. The church, like most churches, had difficulties. And ministry's hard. And ministry is hard. And so there's this temptation for us to go backwards. But the reality of what we see in God's word is, yes, ministry is difficult, okay? But as we talked about last week, when we make it to chair three, we have everything that we need to continue on to chair four. And, 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 and chair four is where we begin reproducing spiritually, The progression was, come and see. It's a simple invitation. Come and see who Jesus is. And from there it was, follow this Jesus. And then from following Jesus, it's, follow Jesus, chair three last week, and I will make you fishers of men. And the progression continues. We've gone all the way from the simple invitation, come and see, to now go and do in chair four. And the purpose of this progression is spiritual multiplication. Just as Jesus has instructed his disciples, we saw last week in Luke chapter 5, that if they follow Jesus, then the goal is that they would be fishers of men. Now I want you to understand something. I've said it, I'll say it again, and you'll probably hear me say it more times. The goal for all believers is not to get from spiritually dead to spiritually alive. And for far too long, that's how our churches have functioned. We just need to get people saved. Just get them saved. Yeah, we need to see people trust Christ, absolutely. Because we're talking about matters of life and death. It's of utmost importance. But when we look into God's word, we find that the goal is not just to get people saved. It's to help them grow and mature so that they could reproduce. You see, the reality of biblical Christian reproduction is that if multiplication from the disciples didn't take place, you and I aren't here. The success of the movement of Christianity hinged upon how faithful the disciples were in trusting in who Christ was, in trusting in the equipping that he had given them, and then how obedient they were to the task that he gave them. And that task was multiplication. Matthew chapter 28, go therefore and make disciples, teaching them all that I have commanded you, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
The purpose of seeing people trust Christ is that they would become spiritual reproducers. And that's why this chair is, that we see here is a chair that would be common in like a nursery. We didn't steal this one from the nursery this morning. Um, but this is the kind of chair you might find in your home nursery when you start having kids. Because now you're a, a parent. And spiritually, when we reproduce, we're spiritual parents. And so what we've seen up to this point is that Jesus' preparation with the disciples has brought them to the place where they are, dare I say, ready to be sent out by Jesus to duplicate what they have seen. The goal is multiplication, and now is the time for the disciples to begin multiplying. See, it's interesting because we know in Matthew 28 and in Acts chapter 1, the commission where we call it the Great Commission, where Jesus sends the disciples out to go and make disciples. That was not the first time they were sent out by Jesus. We, if you're like me, I think lots of times I kind of just assume it is. We read the Gospels and we see the disciples going and coming and coming and going and doing the things that Christ had commanded. But, but oftentimes I think when we think of that real commissioning and going out to make disciples, we limit that to what we see in Matthew 28 or Acts chapter 1. But that's actually not the case. Right here in Luke chapter 9, we see, we're literally going to read the words, that Jesus is going to send these guys out to multiply and begin reproducing spiritually because this is the matter for those who are in chair four, spiritual multiplication or reproduction. Chair four is the person who has seen the need and sought to meet the need of making disciples. They're reproducing what they have seen and what they have heard in Christ for the purpose of advancing the movement of Christianity. I want to pause for just a second. Because I recognize when I make a statement like the response of the disciples to go and make disciples as Jesus commanded them to do it determined what the fate of Christianity would be. I, I recognize that that's, that might seem like a lofty statement. But when I think about this statement practically, let's just look at the world we live in now 2,000 years later. See, I would submit to you this morning that I think we're failing in making disciples in the church. and We'll just talk about the United States. And it's not a coincidence that currently in the United States, everything that God's word would, would stand for, would be a cause for, and would seek to advance is under attack. You know what June is? Now, I don't want to be belligerent, but I want to say, brothers and sisters, we've got to see the relationship between the, the, the godlessness that is advancing in our world and the failure of the church to advance the gospel. If we're proclaiming God's word and those who are hearing it are being faithful and going and striving to make disciples as we've been commanded to do, then the influence and the godlessness of the world might be not quite as intense and extreme as it is today. Now, God has a plan, and this may just be part of it. Things deteriorate, and he brings judgment, and, you know, I don't know. 
I know in a general sense what God's word says, but I also know that if the church were doing her job, I think our world would look different. If the church were making disciples, maybe there'd be more disciples. People who adhere to what the Word of God teaches and who live it like it is actually the Word of God and use it to reproduce spiritually so that the cause of Christianity will continue to progress. Now, see, Jesus knew and understood that in a very short time he would be leaving the disciples. He would no longer physically be with them. And so in order for the disciples to multiply or reproduce, they needed to be sent out. They needed to go and do and evaluate and assess. They could not just stay with Jesus physically. If they were never able to figure out how to reproduce or determine that they were capable to the task, then as we've seen, what, happened to, what would have happened to the movement of Christianity? So the disciples in chair three, young adults, they had to go and seek to make disciples. Their task currently was become spiritual parents. Again, that's chair four. The reproduction spiritually, the intentionality of seeking to invite people to Jesus and in doing so see them go from seeking to reproducing themselves. And so I want to turn our attention to the disciples in this passage here in Luke 9 where they're sent out by Jesus for the next phase of their growth, spiritual reproduction. I'll begin reading in verse 1 of Luke 9. And he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there and from there depart. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed. And went through the villages preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. The reality of Luke chapter 9 verses 1 through 6 is the disciples putting into practice what they have seen and heard from Jesus. And so I want to make some observations about them putting into practice the things that they have seen and heard. And so we're going to do this just like we have over the course of the first three weeks as we looked at each chair. And I want to begin with the condition of those who are in chair four. And this condition is, I mean, it's just that. It's a condition. There's, there's five things here that we see about these disciples as Jesus sends them out. They'd been taught, and in being taught and having seen it modeled, they're ready to carry on the quest or to fulfill the task that Christ has for them. And so I want you to understand, first of all, the disciples, they were equipped for the task. And he called the twelve together, and he gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. 
Now, if we were to go back, obviously we can't for the sake of time, and read Luke chapter 8, you can begin in verse 22 and read through the rest of the chapter, chapter or the, yeah, the rest of the chapter, verse 56. What we would see is Jesus going about, literally demonstrating his authority over the, the weather, calming the seas, okay? Demonstrating his authority over disease and sickness and death. Seeing his authority over even the, the, the demons, the demonic, that spiritual world. And Luke records for us here that he brings the disciples together and he gives them that power and that authority. And he says, now go. Now, this looks a little different, okay? Because in this context, the power and authority that they were given was for the purpose of authenticating the message that they were proclaiming. You have to remember the people that they would go to and that they would talk about Jesus and they would teach about the Messiah. These were people who, they weren't really hip to this Messiah being Jesus. And so they've been given this authority and this ability, this power to do miraculous things as a, as a, as a proof, if you will, or as an evidence that the, the Messiah they're preaching about, that they're inviting people to come and see was true and was reliable and that Jesus really was who he said he was. So the disciples, they were equipped for their task. We also see, secondly, that they were sent out with a specific task. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. Their primary task was to preach, to proclaim, to tell of the excellencies of the Messiah who was amongst them, who had come to be the propitiation for their sins. And when necessary, heal. When, when an authenticator to your message is needed, utilize the authority and the power that you have been given, disciples. They were given a specific task after being equipped Thirdly, we see the disciples, they relied upon Christ for the completion of the task. Verse 3, and he said to them, take nothing for your journey, no, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. He literally tells them, take nothing with you, go. Now this might seem odd, right? But really we learn a couple of things from the, the exhortation of Jesus to send them out and take nothing with them, okay? Uh, num number one, we learn that those who receive their message will care for them. They will meet their needs. That's why he says when you, when you go into a house, stay in that house and then depart from that house and go to the next place. They're going to meet the needs that you have as you enter into these these homes, and as you proclaim and they receive your message of me as the Messiah, they're going to seek to meet your needs. There's also a reality that there was a confidence they had that Jesus would meet their needs. We see, we, again, we didn't get there in our reading, but if you jump down to verse 10, we see that the disciples, they already came back to Jesus. They've already come back and started reporting. So this particular journey, this particular task that they've been given and being sent out on is not a particularly long one. Okay, and so they don't need much. So Jesus says, go, proclaim, heal, and those who accept your message, those who receive you, will meet your needs. Fourthly, the disciples were not deterred by the results of the task. Whatever house you enter, stay there and from there depart. 
And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. For those who are in chair three, seeking to reproduce spiritually, moving into chair four, they do not have the ability to save anyone. We can't save anyone. We can't make anyone trust Christ. We can't make anyone have faith. We can't give anyone faith. Those are the things that God does through the proclamation of his word. We teach, we preach, we share, and then we invite people to believe. But God has to give the faith. And so the disciples, in the same way, like they weren't concerned with the results. Their job was to go and preach and heal as an authenticator. And that's exactly what we see here, right? Jesus doesn't say, you better go and you better get six people saved and then you can come back and tell me about it. No, Jesus says, go and proclaim and heal. So the disciples, they weren't deterred. If those who heard their message and saw the authentication of it and they received them, then they stayed, then the disciples stayed with those. If they saw and they heard and then they rejected, the disciples were to move on to the next town. And Jesus tells them, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. This would be a picture that, that, that Jewish people would understand when the disciples went to them and, and, and proclaimed this Jesus. Because there was actually a practice that Jewish people had when they would be gone away and they would have their dealings with Gentiles. When they would come back home, they would dust off their feet in their sandals as a demonstration like, okay, we're done with the Gentiles, now we're back home, we're with our Jewish people. So when Jesus tells the disciples, hey man, if they don't have you, dust off your sandals and keep going. The Jewish people that wouldn't have them would have understood what was being communicated. And the reality that we understand on this side of history is that they would be judged. You see, this is what makes the gospel a matter of such great importance. People will be judged for their sin. So the church, those who have the gospel, in this case we have the disciples sent out by Jesus, we've got to proclaim it. We've got to make the excellencies of Jesus known in the world that we live in. We have to seek and strive to make Jesus famous, and not in a fanciful way. Making prominent, making priority, making matter in the world that we live in. Because for those who reject they will be judged. And I hope and I pray that the testimony of my life is that I wouldn't be a hindrance to those who have the opportunity to believe. That they would not look to me or point to me and say, well, he said this, but he did this. Well, I know he talked about Jesus, but he was this way. I made the comment a few weeks ago and we talked about this chair two thing and, and building relationships with people. If you were here, you might remember I said, you cannot know my character by being here for 90 minutes on a Sunday morning and listen, listening to me preach. See, relationships and intentionality with people is of utmost importance, and I pray that if we're seeking to be intentional and we're seeking to build relationships for the purpose of them becoming redemptive relationships, that our lives aren't a deterrent for people. Because I personally believe that this is a reality in the church in America today. Those who willfully 
identify as being outside of the church have way too easy of a time looking at those who identify as the church and saying, well, if that's what Jesus is, I don't need that. And even worse than I don't need that is I don't want that. Now, we have to trust Christ with the results. But our lives matter. Our lives matter, especially if we are going to name the name of Jesus. And lastly, we see this about the disciples. They trusted the results with Jesus, and so they just did what they were told. They departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. The disciples were obedient to the task that they were given. Are you sure, Jesus? You want us to go in this town? We need to tell these people, Jesus, you want us to do it this way? What if we do it this way, Jesus? What do you think about this one? What do you think about that one? Oh, he's, I already know that guy. He's not interested. I'm not going to tell him. I'm going to keep it to myself. I'm just going to go on to the next one. I'm not going to worry about that guy. We, we don't see any of that. We see Jesus say, go, proclaim, do miracles, I'll take care of the rest. And they do. They go. And they proclaim. And they do miracles. And they trust that Jesus will take care of the rest. They're obedient. They do what the word of God, who literally was Jesus, commanded them to do. I often wonder how different the church would look if we just did what Jesus said. Forget all the other extra stuff, all the peripherals. What does the word of God say in our quest to be sitting in chair four disciple makers? So that's the condition of those in chair four. I want to talk for just a minute, secondly, about the needs of those who are in chair four. For those who are in chair four, they're going to benefit from many of the same things that we saw last week for those who were in chair three, right? They're going, to be, they're going to benefit from encouragement by the body. They're going to benefit from being reminded that ultimately everything that they need to complete the task comes from Jesus. Our spiritual strengthening is found in who he is and in what he has accomplished, but there is a difference for those who are in chair four as they've entered into this new arena of making disciples. Now, I would submit this morning that one of the most difficult aspects for those in chair four is the opposition that comes with seeking to reproduce spiritually. You see, a reality that we have to wrestle with is that Satan does not mind if the church is just busy doing churchy things. Because if we're so busy doing churchy things that we can't do the things Jesus has called us to, then we're falling behind. We're losing our influence. We're not making disciples. And the moment that the goal of the church becomes to intentionally be obedient to the command of Christ and make disciples, now the church has the devil's attention. It's just like if you've ever had 
If you've ever been trying to walk with somebody, maybe you see them come to faith in Christ, or maybe you're walking with them early in their, uh, in their Christian life as they're in chair two, maybe as a, a spiritual infant, they're growing. You know, one of the things that you have to tell people is, now listen, you probably feel like, okay, since I've trusted Jesus, things are going to get better. Things are going to work out. Things are going to be a little bit easier. I hope. If you're walking with baby Christians, you're reminding them that their life is probably going to get harder. Because the opposition is going to become greater. I want you to understand something. The devil doesn't give a hoot if you're sitting around and doing nothing, even if you call yourself a Christian. Because you are of no use to the cause of Christ when you're idle. But the moment you begin to understand the reality of going from spiritually dead to spiritually alive and now maturing, now you've got his attention. And one of the greatest ways I would submit to you that the devil deters people from seeking and striving to mature spiritually is through deception. Well, I thought it was going to be easy to follow Jesus. I thought the Christian life was going to be a bed of roses. My wife, you guys know I don't do much social media, but my wife, she's been um, sharing some different things in recent weeks uh, about a young lady who, my wife went to college with a, a guy named Mariano. He played baseball at the local community college, and um, he's got a, I think she's 14 or 15-year-old daughter. And Friday, they made the decision to stop chemo, radiation. They took her home. They brought in hospice, and all they're trying to do is make her comfortable. If we're not maturing in Christ, we look at situations like that and we say, God is not fair. And we say, God is not just, and God is not loving, and God is not gracious, and God is not merciful. I'm going to tell you right now, I, I allow my wife to share with me what she needs to, But it scares me. Because what if that's God's plan for my life? What if the unthinkable is what God wants to use and do to make disciples for Jesus Christ? And I've watched this family, as my wife has shared, never waver. I don't know them personally. My wife does. But I see what they're saying. I hear what they're saying. I see what they're writing. And those who mature in Christ, they're they're the ones who are being prepared for the unthinkable times. I don't know why God does what he does. But I know that every single day I have to thank him because the reality of the situation, and Pastor Aaron and I talk about this a lot too. Vadi Bakum once said, When you wonder if God is gracious, just think about the thoughts you had yesterday and the fact that he didn't kill you in your sleep last night. I don't know why God does what he does. But I know that when we're trying to follow Jesus, whether it's through us, our spouse, our kids, our friends, our relatives, family, whatever it is, when we're trying to follow Jesus, opposition will become real. The devil will do whatever he can to deter you.
But I would submit to you this morning that that's not the most difficult aspect of opposition for those who seek to make disciples. As strange as it may seem, oftentimes the church itself is an enemy of making disciples. I want to tell you about a guy named Tom. I don't know if Tom is a real person, if his name has been changed. It's from the book that we've been working through in conjunction with this. But in the book, they tell a story about a man named Tom. They say, as Tom really began to grow in Christ, he was burdened for his neighbors who didn't know Christ. And so as he was burdened for his neighbors, he began to pray for them. And then he began inviting them to Bible study that he was going to hold because he wanted to reach his neighbors who needed Jesus. And as his neighbors came and they heard and they trusted Christ, they would bring others whom they knew who needed Christ. Now, most of these people were unchurched. They had no church contact, no church experience, and in a lot of ways, they were intimidated by the church. And so as this group grew, Tom and the group began meeting in a local building. And they were essentially functioning a lot like a church would function. They would have worship, and they would have prayer, and they would look in God's Word together. But guess what happened? The church that Tom attended saw Tom as a threat. And they called Tom in, and they said, Tom, what are you doing? Why are you operating in opposition to the ministry of the church? Instead of Tom being encouraged and commissioned by his church to minister to the unreached people that he was connecting with, Tom was viewed as no longer being a team player. And this is a reality. And I would submit to you this morning that if a ministry is fortunate enough to have people who are maturing to the point of spiritually reproducing and it look different, the church ought to come alongside them and support them. It's interesting to me because I think in a lot of rural areas like ours, churches like ours, we never think twice about planting churches. We never think twice about planting churches. It's, It's not on our radar, but shouldn't it be? If God was to continue to work and raise up people, shouldn't we look at some folks and say, let's send them out to relocate them for the purpose of of reproducing? I mean, after all, that is how we came into existence. And so it has to be on the radar of our churches as people are growing spiritually. Hopefully, a church can increase its impact and can increase its footprint but it may not look the way that we've become accustomed to it looking. If someone in our midst is going out and they're meeting with people and they're doing this and they're, that's okay. I mean, we're praying that they're operating under biblical authority, that they're rightly handling God's word, that they're sharing it with folks, inviting them to come and see, and then calling them to repentance, giving them the opportunity for faith. It may look different. So what? Tom wasn't a part of something that he had previously been a part of. Tom was reaching people for Christ. Praise God. And so we got to encourage people like Tom. Now we can't, obviously we understand, each and every church can't come alongside every single ministry opportunity. There's too many, hopefully. And we can't always support and throw all of our support behind everything that comes along. But at the bare minimum, we should strive to not be an obstacle to what Christ is doing through his followers. Again, it might look different, but honestly, if those who won't come to church are going to be reached, 
then ministry might look different. It might have to be done different. And so the church must guard itself against the mindset of people need to come to us. Because this is not biblical. We don't see this anywhere in scripture. We literally, and he called the 12, gave them power, and he sent them out. The great commission is, as you are going, make disciples. Followers of Jesus, they learn, they grow, they become equipped, and they go. You see, there is much interaction between Jesus, his followers, and lost people. But as we read through God's word, they're always on their way. You remember the woman at the well? The disciples had been ministering, were on their way to another ministry stop. And Jesus told his disciples, he said, we must go through Samaria. And he ministered to the woman at the well, John chapter 4. So as those who seek to make disciples go out and do ministry, as they're making hay when the sun shines, how can the church minister to them? And that's been our, our third thing the last few weeks. What is the ministry to those who are in chair four? Well, I think part of the ministry is understanding that the goal is multiplication, not addition. The goal is not a person here or a person there. The goal is a person who is raised up and sent out, who is raising up and sending out, who is raising up and sending out. That's the reality of multiplication versus addition. The believer in Jesus Christ is called to bear fruit, to bear more fruit, and lastly, to bear much fruit, John chapter 15. And the more the church commits to making disciples who make disciples, then the more multiplication will happen. I also believe as we strive to minister to those who are in chair four, that the church must keep in mind that the people in chair four are not the enemy. They're not the competition. They're not to be viewed as someone who is taking away from ministry that is taking place. Again, we, we must see those who are seeking to make disciples who are spiritually reproducing, not as the enemy. It might look different. It might function different. They might do it differently than I would do it. But that doesn't make them the enemy. And then lastly, I think we must keep in mind as we minister to those in chair four, <clears throat> that the ministry of those who are in chair four might look different even from person to person. Because oftentimes when you get to chair four and you begin spiritually reproducing, you, you, I, I believe that the Lord draws you to the people who you have commonality with. I can minister to this person, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, because of my experiences. I've been through this and that enables me and equips me as I'm spiritually maturing to walk with somebody who is also going through it. So we tend so so again we all have different experiences. So who we may be more inclined to minister to as we spiritually reproduce is going to look different and that's okay. If all the church does is minister to people who look like us, think like us, act like us, and do the things that we do, and go the places we go, and, and say the things we say, then we're reaching a very small portion of the people. 
And Jesus told, told his disciples when they were to go, don't go until you've got to everybody in Jerusalem. Everybody who identifies as Jewish and thinks like you do Jews, I want you to just stop there and be done with it. No, then you go to Judea, and then into Samaria, and then to the uttermost parts of the earth. It's going to look different when different people minister. If it's predicated upon the God of Word and what is the Word of God and what is clearly taught in Scripture, then it's okay. It's okay. Because we've we have different experiences and we've been gifted differently, and so we've been called to different tasks, but we all ought to have the same goal. Make disciples who make disciples our gifts they look different our tasks in some sense are different but they complement one another to the glory of Jesus Christ and Christ and the Father are most glorified as we have seen recently when we make disciples When Jesus says in John 15 that we must abide so that we could bear fruit, bear more fruit, and bear much fruit, the fruit is disciples. That's the barometer. That's the measuring stick. Are people following Jesus and calling others to follow Jesus? That's more fruit, much fruit. I want to finish with three challenges. Challenge number one. I know we didn't, we didn't discuss it much this morning. Challenge number one is to those of you who are in chair one, spiritually dead, separated from God in your sin. That's the reality of God's word. Again, Ephesians chapter two. If you, if you say, you know what? I don't know anything about this Jesus. I'm not really worried about this Jesus. I don't, or, or maybe you're saying, I don't know a lot about this Jesus, but I'm kind of interested and I'm not really sure what to make of this Jesus. And pastor, what are you talking about spiritually dead and spiritually alive? I would love to talk to you today. I would love to try to answer any questions that you may have because the most important decision, the most important response you can ever have is to the, to the invitation to repent and trust Christ. Because your response is literally a matter of life and death. So challenge number one is to those in chair one, trust Christ, repent of your sin. Challenge number two, those in chair two and chair three, your challenge is twofold. Seek to grow and mature spiritually for the purpose of reproducing spiritually. Strive to be a disciple maker. But secondly, don't be a hindrance to disciple makers. Because as we've noted, sadly, the church is often the enemy of those who think outside the box. And challenge number three, if your goal is making disciples, don't be discouraged when it's hard. When those in the church strive to make disciples as God has called them to do, there is going to be opposition. Stay the course, run the race, fight the fight. Make disciples. Let's pray. Father, what a privilege we have to be used of you to change the world we live in. May that be our heart's desire. May we long to mature for the purpose of spiritual reproduction. So challenge us, God. Grow us. Move us out of the way of ourselves. Help us, God, to humbly submit to you 
and to be willing to be obedient, to be faithful to the task of making disciples. What a privilege it is, God, again, to know you and to be used by you. And I pray this morning, God, for the one who maybe they heard that, that first challenge And they say, I I need more information. I don't understand this spiritually dead and spiritually alive. And what do you mean, trust Christ? What does it mean to repent of sin? God, I pray that you would burden that heart today in such a way that they might ask, what does it mean to be made spiritually alive? What does it mean, as Nicodemus said to Jesus, to be born again? Father, work according to your plans and your purposes in each of our lives for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.